The Incredible Hulk will not be presented this evening. Welcome to the Two Old Farts Talk Sci-Fi Holiday Extravaganza with special guest stars William Shatner, Dua Lipa, Charlemagne the God, Zool, Bippy Bongstalker, J.R. Bob Dobbs, Kelly Ripa, Tom Brady, and a very special reunion with the cast of Devon's Lair. And now it's time for the Two Old Farts Talk Sci-Fi Holiday Extravaganza! Welcome to Two Old Farts Talk Sci-Fi. I'm David Klink. And I'm Troy Harkin. And yeah, man, that that excitement is just in the air. You feel that full festive uh, flavor there, David? I can feel it. Yeah, and you know, uh, David and I made sure that we called this two-parter special episode the Holiday Extravaganza. We were worried if we called it the festive special that you would get it confused with uh, Swiss Chalet and you might be looking for the quarter chicken, the fries, the stuffing, the cranberry sauce, the fresh roll and the Lindor chocolates, all of which we would love to offer you. But at this time, we are not able to. But we hope you have a, uh, a festive libation with you. David and I are here by the fireside with the Yule tunes playing in the background and uh, just really getting our Mary on. But, David, I, I do have a little bit of bad news. Oh, no. What, what's, what's happening, Troy? What's well, happening? Well, um, I heard back from a few of our uh, hopeful guest stars. We were, we, I think, maybe got a little bit ahead of ourselves in, in who we were hoping to have on. And uh, so... Uh, apparently, William Shatner will not be able to join us. Um, also, Dua Lipa and Charlemagne the God, and uh, it seems Tom Brady. Tom Brady, uh, he has a game to prepare for. Um, and no Kelly Ripa. But David, there, there, there's the two of us. Just the two of us. Just the two of us. We can make it if we try. You know what, David? We're good enough, we're strong enough, and God damn it, people like us. And if they don't, they can bleep a rented mule. I think that's how the seasonal expression goes, isn't it? Sounds like it. And this is our fifth episode of season two. Today's episode is the holiday extravaganza part one, where we're looking at TV and books and comics. And look forward to part two where we look at movies. Yes, Troy. It's it's going to be a good time, man. I, I've really enjoyed hanging out with you this year and with all the toffees. And uh, I think we're going to have some good Christmas fun. It's, it's um, you know, I'm, I was kind of excited about a possible Devon Slayer cast reunion. Um, but, you know, maybe we will see that at some point. So what kind of... Um, what kind of Christmas kid were you, by the way? Were you the type that was all excited on Christmas Eve, or were you kind of cool about it? Um, well, I probably tried to play cool, but, you know, when you're sort of there and you're sneaking down the stairs trying to see what's being wrapped and you can't get to bed till 3 or 4 in the morning, and then you're up early and you're trying to look at what's under the tree and, and look at all those uh, Christmas presents and so on, and always looking forward to certain things that were on your your wish list, which somehow when you gave it to your parents, they were able to get it to Santa um, by the you know the way that parents do. Yeah. Um, and then always looking forward to it. Um, uh, I almost feel like uh, I know it's not a, a genre um, thing, but it was a, certainly a Christmas episode. But there was uh, a TV movie that was called The Homecoming back in the early to mid 70s, around 72, 73, 74, that basically launched the Waltons. 
and this one had John Boy, and the the father was away, and they were worried about him whether or not he was able to make it back in time for Christmas. And John Boy was one of these writers that was sort of trying to hide the fact that he was a writer. And as a writer myself, and interested in writing, it was quite an emotional moment when he got that gift of some 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 writing paper um, to be able to do his uh, writing with. Um, it just felt like it was just such a powerful and an emotional moment um, for me. So that, that series did launch the um, uh, Walton. So yeah, for sure, I always look forward to something. And the stockings, of course. There was always comics and, and various little treats and other things in our, in our stockings. Yeah, that was, that was a great episode, too. I forgot that that was the, I guess, the pilot um, for the Waltons. Um, yeah, yeah, I remember the broken dolls. Remember the, the, yeah. the, the doll that the, the woman was handing out these things and said you had to give a line from the Bible, and they kept giving Jesus wept uh, as a line. <laughs> Um, and then they got this little doll, and the doll had a broken face or something like that, and it just dropped it in a in a puddle in the street. Um, there, there was some of that. If I watch it again, I think it would probably still hold up. Yep. Yeah. Now I know that we're um, uh, you, David and I again are are on our own with this. Well, we're, we're with all of you, but um, I have a feeling we're going to be uh, a little bit all over the place in a good way. Little free form. Um, for some reason, you mentioning that line about Jesus wept um, reminded me of an uh, an episode I saw this year, a, a seasonal special uh, for Creep Show. It was their holiday special, um, and I'm going to fling through my notes here to find it. But it's just it's funny because it had a reference to. Uh, No worries. As you as you as you look through your notes, I just wanted to mention to the 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 listeners of our podcast that we are recording this episode. It's part one of the of the holiday extravaganza, but we're looking at TV, books, and comics. We're recording it on Saturday, November twenty seventh, twenty twenty one, and it's scheduled for broadcast on Saturday, December eleventh. Um, we do not have a special guest for this episode, and Troy will after he finds that moment give us I, a spoiler I, alert. Um, which he tends to do in each episode. And let me, you know what? Let me throw that spoiler alert in now. I should make it festive, but here it is. That's spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. And appropriately, I'm going to tell you a little bit about uh, an episode I just saw recently that somehow David mentioning the Waltons made me think of. It's the Creep Show holiday special. It was called Shapeshifters Anonymous, and it was written and directed by uh, Creep Show showrunner. Greg Nicotero, um, and it it was um, usually Creep Show consists of a couple of uh, smaller episodes within the one sort of forty five minutes to an hour show, but this was a single episode, so it was like a really was like a mini movie, um, and so Shapeshifters Anonymous. My note here is while at a twelve step group for lycanthropes and other shapeshifters, the attendees are attacked by their mortal enemies, Chris Kringle of uh, Chris Kringle and his army of Santas and elves, because supposedly Santa has this thing against shapeshifters, as particularly werewolves. And it was just a wild episode. Um, and in fact, one of the uh, members of the 12 step group wasn't a shapeshifter, but she was a furry of this woman who enjoys dressing up as a hippo in a hippo costume. And, but she, uh, she aligned herself with the shapeshifters. If you can find that out there, I believe creep show, is um, a part of the uh, uh, Prime video uh, package. So uh, it's something that's totally different. And it obviously, I would hope you picked up, avoids all of the, the Christmas uh, stereotypes and tropes. And then certainly nothing like you would see on the Hallmark Channel. Yep. Um, and actually, do you know why hippos are so smart? Oh, I do not, and I like the fact that this is a riddle, and it ties in with sort of the whole Christmassy, especially British Christmas. Why, David, do tell, why are hippos so smart? Well, at university, they go to the hippo campus. (laughs) That's a good one. That's a good one. 
Thank you. Thanks, Troy. Um, we are recording the session via Zoom, and I just want to say that I think Bill Waterston from the Essential Calvin and Hobbes said it best when he said, Oh, look, yet another Christmas TV special. How touching to have the meaning of Christmas brought to us by cola, fast food, and beer. Who'd have ever guessed that product consumption, popular entertainment, and spirituality would mix so harmoniously? That's a good one. Love it. On to the holiday special or the holiday extravaganza part one. Um, I don't know, Troy, if you actually did prepare or have anything that's sort of your your standard background at the beginning of our episode to talk about the history and setting it in context before we get into a full discussion on it. I'm not sure if you do have that or not or if we're just going to... Yeah, no, I, I got, got a little something together. It's a little bit different. Um, well, take it away, Troy. And um, so, so gather around, children. Gather around, and I'll, I'll tell you a festive tale. Once upon a timey upon the world, there came a people who crawly from the briny deeps and dreary, before a homely makey and branchy out in the arduous arbor. Leafy they do done did until they came upon the all-mod cons of rocky holes and holy rocks, where burn they did flamey twigs and balderdash. There they were soon blessed with the gift of gab and tonguey-wag. Around the sparkle and ash, they spake the shit of head dreams and movies of the week. Well, not only did the beings tell their tales of ghosts and monsters and beasts, they also created myths about the disappearing of the sun in midwinter. Even as these beings evolved, they continued to tell their midwinter tales. Yuletide became the time for gathering together and storytelling. Eventually, the stories became about the season itself. We can still look back to medieval mystery dramas like The Second Shepherd's Play or Shakespeare's Elizabethan Twelfth Night. The British Christmas pantomime shows can be traced back to the Roman Saturnalia festivals to celebrate the returning of the sun. In the 19th century, Father Christmas was updated for North Americans as Santa Claus, the jolly, plump fellow is now synonymous with Christmas through poems, songs, reading cards, commercials, films, and TV shows. Yes, a magical fat man with flying deers makes toys for every child on Earth. If they are nice. Not naughty, that is. And then he delivers them all in one night. Is this too much to ask? Too much disbelief to suspend? With or without Santa, Christmas is about the son of a god and a virgin woman, born in a barn and found by three men who followed a star as their GPS. How absurd is Christmas? Wonderfully absurd. It's supposed to be absurd. The pagan roots of the holiday are an intentional FU to logic and rational thought. Late December finds the Northern Hemisphere in the darkest, coldest point of the year. But we choose to say, fuck you to death and darkness. We will live, especially if we stick together, sing our songs of hope and celebrate one another. We choose to go on. We choose not to despair. So we will bring the outdoors indoors. We will bring trees into our homes. We will bring mistletoe inside and enact ancient fertility rites. We will burn candles, believing they will stay lit for unreasonably long times. Christmas is definitely within the realm of genre. So it's no surprise that we might mix our midwinter stories into modern genre narratives and use the mediums of television and film, as well as comic books and other forms, to convey these festive tales. And David, if you believe, perhaps a Christmas miracle can be born of you like a babe birthed of a virgin or a fat man in a fricking flying sled. I guess that sleigh is in one horse open instead of sleigh as in to kill. Um, Troy, what was your sort of first experience of holidays and, and, and the Christmas and the, and the winter season and sort of speculative uh, genre, whether it's the TV, books, or comics. 
That's a good question, you know, because, you know, the more I've thought about it recently, the more I think, you know, most of the sort of Christmas narrative is almost pure genre itself. But in terms of what I think you're getting at, um, sort of like a crossover, like, say, a film like Santa Claus versus the Martians, um, it's probably the comics. It probably is the comics. Um because I was a huge comic head as a very young kid. And um, I loved getting the ones that would sort of cross over Santa with, say, Superman. Because, you know, these are things that at that point I, I still both believed in. And they seemed to reinforce one another, you know. Um, they, they're always telling me there's such a thing as Santa. And here's Santa with Superman. So, ergo, there must be Superman. Um, so yeah, loved that as a kid. And actually I have with me at my side, a couple, uh, of, um, books that I've had since 74 and 75. Um, I have the DC and Marvel sort of Christmas collections of the time. So the first one is, is called Christmas with the superheroes. It's a DC, uh, oversized limited collector's edition, um, book. And those things were about, I'm guessing that looks like about 18 inches by about 12 inches. Um, really big books. The, the Marvel versions were called tre Treasury Editions. Um, and this one, the first one I'm looking at, has a, a Batman story called Silent Night, Deadly Night. It's written by uh, legend of, in the field, uh, Denny O'Neill, and with art by uh, Dick Giordano. Um, it also has a Shazam uh, story within it and a Teen Titans one which I always loved which was kind of a uh, um, a Scrooge tale um, it's called A Swinging Christmas Caper and an older Superman story and the following year it was uh, followed up with uh, another version same title Christmas with the Superheroes and on the cover it's got Superman carrying Santa's sleigh with Batman, Wonder Woman, uh Kane from the horror comics of DC's uh, horror line. Um, and my two marvels that I still have from that era um, are the giant superhero holiday grab bag. And one of them has uh, Thor, um, the human flame, Spider-Man, Hulk, Captain America, and the thing bursting through a, a giant wreath. And the next one from 75 has a number of heroes, including Spider-Man and Doctor Strange, uh, decorating a tree with um, the Hulk dressed as Santa, listening to uh, some little poppet's uh, Christmas wish list. Um, they were all great. And um, there was also a great uh, story, uh, a, a Black Widow story, and it was my first time encountering Black Widow. And... Uh, and I remember she really reminded me of Catwoman. And I remember she made me feel kind of like all tingly in the same way that Catwoman did. Um, but some great art by, let me just dig out who that artist is because it is my favorite um, uh, Black Widow artist. And I'm going to it, I'm flipping through here. And it is Gene Colan, there you go. Um, and we had um, Michael Rowe recently talk about his love of Gene Colan's um, Tomb of Dracula books. But that's that was probably it for me, David. And then, um, you know, I was able to share my love of uh, comics and especially Christmas comics with my kids as they were growing up. And we all ended up watching the animated um, versions of some of these tales, which I guess we'll get into a little bit later. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, my um, experiences, even though this is mm -hmm. our, our TV episode and, and books and comic books instead of our movie one, but I did watch this on TV would have been right. the Alistair Sim uh, version of a Christmas, Car a Christmas Carol. There were a number of a Christmas Carol movies over the years, including I think even one with George C. Scott. And I think there was a recent one. I'm trying to remember if it's Patrick Stewart or someone else. Um, those are the options. It's either Patrick Stewart or someone else. Right. And that covers all options. But, um, and I put it on tape and I'm going to probably watch it this Christmas. I did, I, I recorded it off um, TV. It was like a three part um, 
episode. But a lot of people consider a Christmas Carol the one with Alistair Sim, which was I think maybe around 1951 or in the early. That sounds 50s. right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as the quintessential uh, a Christmas Carol um, movie, and I'm just mentioning here because I would have seen it on TV on. Um, these days, and that definitely, even though a lot of people don't consider or think of it as one of those, you know, great genre kind of things. Oh, it really is. These, yeah, sure. yeah, absolutely. With these ghosts visiting, um, it definitely puts that you into that story. Um, and A Christmas Carol was also um, has that story, that idea, that concept right. of wanting to. Um, be visited by people of your past, present, and future and trying to see what your worth in the world has been redone many times by many uh, TV shows. That's right. And, and again, um, you know, just as we're thinking about looking back on it, because we will, might touch on it again with film in our second episode, but It's a Wonderful Life, um, you know, it, it, it nicely sort of plays on some of the ideas in a Christmas Carol um, with the, you know, going back and revisiting your life. In this case, your life as it would have been, which I guess also firmly makes it a genre tale. I mean, you can imagine it's a wonderful life condensed into a 30 minute twilight zone episode. Like it's, it seems like if, uh, if that hadn't been written beforehand, Serling would have done it. You know, Serling would have ended up uh, writing that story. Um, hmm. And that, and that, yeah, that is actually has always been one of my all-time favorite films. Like that is probably still in a top ten for me. Um, it, 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 you know, it, it's funny once you see a film x number of times, you're not sure if am I reacting to the performances and the story, or is this like learned behavior? <laughs> you know, because there are, there are parts of its wonderful life that will still bring me to tears and and that famous kiss with donna reed mm. uh to me that's one of well, my that whole scene that yeah that's yeah i mean it, I the whole the thing yep. yeah and but it, it, but then there's that shot the, the, the two shot of them together mm. to me that is my favorite scene of hollywood intimacy ever um just the way that is conveyed and the way it it uh, changes through the shot is amazing. Just well, that's you know. Capra for you a bit. Yeah, too in that yeah. his direction because the idea that he they're there, he's talking to to whoever it was on the phone who may or may right. not be a love interest for the Eeyore. woman there. I can't remember. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's the mother up the stairs yes. who doesn't really care that much for him and is hoping that he would just leave. Uh, would you tell that guy I'm giving him the chance of a lifetime? Do you hear the chance of a lifetime? He says it's the chance of a lifetime. Now, you listen to me. I don't want any plastics. I don't want any ground floors. And I don't want to get married ever to anyone. You understand that? I want to do what I want to do. And you're... And you're... George, George, George. Yeah, and let's talk about what is possibly... Troy, in in my humble opinion, Imho, or many people's uh, opinion, is the greatest moment, the greatest TV representation of Christmas or the holidays ever is the Star Wars holiday special or whatever they called it. So did you want to just yeah. talk briefly about that, that special? Well, it's, um, it is the stuff of, of legends. And... Um, and I think, okay, I'm not going to make, I'm not going to jump into a Beatles reference there. I was going to, I'm letting that go. It is the stuff of, of legends. It's the kind of thing where, you know, a lot of people haven't seen it. They've heard about it. And I think until recently, I like I'd only seen clips on YouTube, but I did find a cleaned up version. I think it's called the nice version um, on YouTube. Um, and somehow this has, you know, got out of Lucas's, grasp it's let's give people some background so the first came first film came out in 77 and this is the next thing we see of star wars sort of officially 
with you know cast members and whatnot in their roles. This is the first thing we see. This is before Empire. That's it. I'm turning back. I know your family's waiting. I know it's an important day. All right, we'll give it a try. I'll set your coordinates. Or jump far. I'll get you back there in time, pal. Trust me. Hope now, so I'll run that Imperial garbage scout. Now I'm going to light speed. That's the spirit. You'll be celebrating life day before you know it. Stand by. Here's my say goodbye to our unpleasant friends. special starring Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker Harrison Ford as Han Solo Carrie Fisher as Princess Leia with Anthony Daniels as C-3PO Peter Mayhew as Chewbacca R2-D2 as R2-D2 James Earl Jones as the voice of Darth Vader. Introducing Chewbacca's family. His wife, Mala. His father, Itchy. His son, Lumpy. With special guest star... Beatrice Arthur, Art Carney, Diane Carroll, the Jefferson Starship, Harvey Corman, and an animated Star Wars story on the Star Wars Holiday Special. So people were hungry, right? I mean, I, the funny thing is, I, I would have been about the right age. I, I think unless, it, like, 78, which is when it came out, unless 78 for me was like, now nah, that's kid stuff now, which maybe I felt that way a little bit. I don't know. But I, I don't remember seeing it, and I think I would have. Or I started to watch it and got bored and <laughs> turned it off and forgot. Um, so, yeah, we have... Um, special guest appearances along with all of our Star Trek regulars of Art Carney, B. Arthur, and the Jefferson Starship. Um, and we get to meet, for the first time, um, Chewbacca's family, uh, his wife Mala, his son Lumpy, and his uh, father Itchy. Um, and I sort of got, Itchy looks like a character from Creepshow, but I can't figure out where what exact episode it was but the way his face sits is is weird it's kind of like a tom savini creation also in the special we get uh some animation by toronto's nelvana films um and in that we have the first appearance of of uh, boba fett and we wrap up with the life day song by princess leah there's just so much there we celebrate a day of peace a day of harmony a day of joy we all can share together joyously
was your reaction to your first viewing, David? And did you see it at the time? I think I saw it at the time. I had missed Star Wars in its original run. I'd heard all this talk about how great this film is and so on, but I just didn't get my ass out into the theater. I did watch it later uh, and have grown to love it. I I think it's quite the film. Um, I think I did see that holiday special. Now, I was a kid, and, and there's certain things, you know, like I don't, I'm not sure if it would hold up quite as well now. I remember just a little story about, you know, how pacing and how things work, because one of my favorite films is The French Connection. Um, uh, that, that was one that was around 1970 with Roy Scheider and Gene Hackman in, in their absolute prime and their best. And it was just such a brilliant film. And, and I had mentioned how much, how great a film it was to my brother-in-law, Rob Sawyer. So I went, so we watched it at his place and he found that the pacing, and this was like 20 years ago, and he found that the pacing and just how it went and, and that whole thing with, you know, like, you know, you got Roy Scheider across the street tapping his feet while the 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 person he's trying to to follow is having a wonderful uh, meal in a restaurant, and there's all this stuff about the whole film that the pacing is so slow that if you're not that invested in it or if you're not enthralled by it, then it just you know the pacing nowadays are are this snap snap snap. You need your little thing in five second or 10 second tidbits you need stuff that's really fast paced now if you're into fast pacing and you watch the star wars holiday special (laughs) you may go into coma because this thing the pacing on this one i think troy you had mentioned to me in in some email or something that that you thought that this 90 minute or two hour or whatever it was could have been done in 60 minutes or 30 minutes or something because it just seemed like like for me i don't mind it because i just love the drawn out thing i don't mind things going on a bit and that's the kind of things that i actually like which i know is a bit odd to some to some people because i have to care about the characters and want to know what's going to happen now if i didn't care about the characters and want to know what's going to happen it would seem even slower and it would just be deadly dull. So I wanted to know what was happening. I wanted to see the interaction, what was going on. But do you have any comments yourself about just the pacing of that episode? I do, but I also wanted to comment on French Connection, which is a brilliant uh, William Friedkin film. It's filmed before uh, The Exorcist. And, and it won, I believe, Best Film, and I believe he won Best Director, too, for it. Um, but the thing is, you know, in a case like um, The French Connection, you're building suspense. You know, you're, you're, you know so, the, so stretching it out should be building towards suspense, and you're using tension. Um, you don't really need that in a kid's Christmas story involving, you know, basically a fantasy story. Um, I was thinking, I, I can't remember any other Christmas special that would have run two hours long that wasn't an actual movie. Um, so, because you get these asides in the film, like the scenes with B. Arthur, which don't do far as I recall, really anything to advance the plot. So you're wondering, like, why are they there other than for some reason we, B. Arthur was able to do this? Oh, I guess we wanted to show the cantina. That's probably what it was. They probably wanted to have the creatures from the cantina scene, which was such a, a big deal after the first film. Um, so that was probably one of the reasons. Um, yeah, like I was thinking that's a thing where I think you could take that footage from YouTube and you could cut it into a much juicier um, show. And I think the thing is, the problem is you want to see Luke, you want to see Han, you want to see Leia and the droids. And like, we don't even really get to see uh, Chewbacca that much. You know, we're seeing his extended family. Um, And I don't really like, would you want to see like a 90 minute special of uh, uh, what's her name? Aunt Beru and uncle Owen. I'm not sure you would. It's like, you know, if they were just saying, oh, Luke will be back in, uh, you know, in, in 30 minutes or so. Why don't you just hang out with us while we have some Banta juice? Yeah, um, and if they, if they had only bought that fire insurance that they should have during that robot <laughs> chicken right. episode. See, that um, would have been good. I would have liked that scene where the insurance man comes by and chats them up a bit. Yes. Um, and certainly that scene, the, 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 the whole cantina, the, the, the whole dance, the choreography of it, the song, B. Arthur singing, her dancing with all of her customers, trying to get them out. That whole thing I found was marvelous. I, I just, I'm a huge fan of, of uh, B. Arthur mm-hmm. and that, that, that show Maud. 
And I watch it just as much for her and her acting and just her presence and how brilliant, like she was like the female version of a Carol O'Connor of the, of not that evil kind of character, but that kind of gravitas and that kind of brilliance. Like B. Arthur was just absolutely one of the great actresses of our era, but I also watch her that, that show for Adrian Barbeau, but um, <laughs> yeah, but um, to have her in this, special in this um star wars special and i just thought that that her stuff was great yeah you know what even though i have just said that like i don't i didn't think the scenes were didn't serve the overall story that well i felt that they were um kind of compelling like i did want to watch her and i did uh i did um i was compelled by her performance you know like I felt like I could have watched more of that. You know, they almost should do a, a redo of that, like, like do an homage, like do some anniversary version of it with the current cast of whether it would be the Mandalorian or whether it would be the episodes one, two, three, or episodes seven, eight, nine, get it yeah. together and just see what could they actually do as a holiday special yeah. with the Star Wars characters and what would be even more interesting would be if they had something of the, you know, someone like um, Patrick Stewart and Jonathan Frakes and the rest of the characters from Next Generation, LeVar Burton and so on, and Whoopi Goldberg, um, or the people from Discovery or so on. Like, it has to be a big enough, like, the Star Wars was so huge that you can see them doing that kind of holiday special, and there hasn't been anything that big in the genre thing since uh, something like Avatar, but what right. gri- what grips and what gets people interested? Well, the only ones that could really pull this off now might even be the classic Trek people, and there are not that many of them left. So you're trying to get some of those characters back and doing something where they do a special holiday thing might be... Uh, because that Star Wars was just such an oddball, one-of-a-kind kind of thing that it's sort of hard to capture that again, that magic and yeah. that. Yeah. I feel like in some ways, uh, maybe the, uh, Trek, uh, TOS might've, uh, dodged a bullet with that one, you know, because, uh, whichever, you know, side you, you sit on in the, uh, Star Trek versus Star Wars arguments. I think if you're a, a Trek fan, you can always use the Star Wars holiday, uh, special against them, you know, um, and God that was, knows- almost, that was almost on a panel where it was Star Wars versus Star Trek, and I was asked to be actually on to defend Star Wars. So it's kind of neat because if you're on, if you have to debate something and you have to have to have, be assigned the person that has right. to defend the thing that you don't believe in, you really do have to look at it and try to not throw that under the bus and actually defend that. Like, why? Why is it? Uh, Good thing. Uh, certainly, George Takei has been around for quite a while. I, I hopefully he is in good health, but he keeps posting, and I'm one of the people that follows his stuff on Facebook, and he posts every few days some video or something rather. Um, and I'm always a big fan of his um, Captain Sulu um, from one of the films, and I think he also showed up in a Voyager episode, I think, where they showed some. Um, something maybe from the film or worked it in, but yeah, yeah God, something something Star Trek would be good. Yeah, and and you're right. It's I mean that's just good debating skill, right? Being able to take a side that you don't necessarily actually agree with, but able to uh, hold up an argument on its behalf. Um, yeah, you know, certainly both Shatner and Nimoy in the late '60s and early '70s when. Um, you know, they might've been hurting for some work, you know, I can see them. They might have jumped at that had, uh, had they been given the opportunity to do a a Star Trek Christmas special. Um, So I guess we'll never know what that would have been like, but um, so shall we move on to a few other things, David? Yeah. Yeah. And I was just wondering if we can just quickly, because we don't have a ton of time left is that, uh, I don't know if you can see this on your screen. We'll be commenting on these things. I know this is a podcast, not a webcast. 
uh, but I've just changed my screen to a site that's called comicbook.com. And what they do is there's a, a if you just Google 12, the, num- the numeral 12, one, two, 12 great superhero holiday comics. Um, I don't know if you can see this on your screen yep. or not. Um, but the, there's one that's Superman's Christmas Adventure, where you had mentioned this earlier, Troy, about the idea that Superman and um, Santa Claus being together. Um, yeah, it sort of reinforces the the believability of both of them. Yeah, you know, Spider-Man's tangled age. web. Yeah, Who's, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love the artwork on that one. But I'm that not Bruce sure if it mentions... Jim? Kind of looks like it yeah. might be Bruce Tim, but I'm not sure. And again, sorry, folks, you're not looking, so I feel like we're sort of being mean to you that way. Yeah, but the the the, the content and people want to go to the site. It's just yes. uh, uh, called um, Twelve Great Superhero Holiday Comics. Because some things, and one of the ones that that you looked at and were, were quite impressed with was this one that almost looked like something from Dickens, from the, the 1800s kind of art. Oh, right. That's uh, Mike Mignola of Hellboy fame. Well, it's a Hellboy cover called A Christmas Underground. And it looks great. And it actually reminds me, uh, I was saying earlier, um, it reminds me a lot of um, Bernie Wrightson's Frankenstein uh, work. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's kind of an, an homage to that. Like there's a lot of, re- it's black and white folks. And yeah, you're right. It's Victorian, uh, kind of Dickensian looking. And um, with a lot of, uh, I think it's called Hatchwork. Uh, if you're drawing where you've just got a lot of lines interconnecting lines and again you know certainly through uh, Dickens work and through A Christmas Carol in particular we're reminded that um, of the importance of like the ghost story at Christmas as a as a tradition Uh, you're showing a a detail of the silent night of the Batman um, which is uh, I believe in this in this um, issue uh Batman is constantly thinking that there's, you know, crimes to be solved or stopped and he keeps running around and he just finds acts of goodwill going on because it's Christmas Eve. And that was partly adapted in um, Batman the Animated Series 1992 in an episode called Christmas with the Joker. And we're going to be a little soundbite of that right now. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Hey! Jingle bells, Batman smells, Robin laid an egg. The Batmobile lost the wheel to the Joker, God away! So Christmas with the Joker marked the first appearance of Mark Hamill voicing the Joker. But yeah, we get that great version of of Jingle Bells that we all know from the schoolyard of Jingle Bells, Batman Smells, yada, yada, yada. Um, so I was hooked. I think that was the first episode of the animated series I saw back in 92. And I still say, David, that for, for my money, the best thing Warner Brothers or DC did with the character of Batman in the 1990s as a whole was the animated series. It looked so good and so fresh, even though it was hearkening back to the Superman Fleischer comic um, cartoons of the 30s and 40s. Um, But the scripts were great. Uh, There was a love of the character, a celebration of the history of the character. It somehow managed to be both dark in tone and visually, um, yet still be appropriate for children. You know, it's, it's amazing what they pulled off. Um, so Troy, there is. A, 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 we're going to be finishing up soon, but there there are various sites and ways of looking up the best holiday episodes of science fiction, fantasy, and horror on the internet, and then just trying to find those, whether it's Crave or 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 some other service. Um, so, and one of the links, I'll just mention the episode titles of this, but there's one that's called the 12 best holiday episodes sci-fi and fantasy TV series have to offer something called Gizmodo, G-I-Z-M-O-D-O.com. I'll just mention that what they consider the top 12 are, 
uh, the number one Buffy Vampire Slayer episode called Amends. Number two, The Dead Zone, A Very Dead Zone Christmas. Number three, Quantum Leap and Little Miracle. Number four, Wonder Woman, The Deadly Toys. Uh, Futurama had the Futurama Holiday Spectacular. Number six on their list, The X-Files, How the Ghosts Stole Christmas. Number seven, The Six Million Dollar Man, A Bionic Christmas Carol. Number eight, Doctor Who, The Christmas Invasion. And by the way, there's a lot of Christmas themed Doctor Who episode. Every year they would do a Christmas themed one. Number nine, The Man from Uncle, The Jingle Bells Affair. Number 10 out of 12, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. I'm dreaming of a white ranger. Number 11, The Twilight Zone. And, and I think, Troy, you'll talk to, a bit about just some of the Twilight Zone because there's a number, but they mentioned The Night of the Meek and the number 12, Pinky in the Brain, a Pinky in the Brain Christmas. So what do you want to say about some of the, the Twilight Zones that you're aware of? Well, I, I will get to that in a sec. I do love that Pinky in the Brain episode. I forgot about it. It's actually a tearjerker. I mean, uh, Pinky in the Brain is, is hilarious. And, it, and it, that episode is as well, but it goes somewhere at the very end that, oh, my God, if you are the type uh, that will weep at things like Field of Dreams, bring your, get your Kleenex ready for that. Um, also, I did see that Wonder Woman episode uh, recently, The Deadly Toys. Um, it's got some definite up points. It has Wonder Woman fighting a Wonder Woman replica robot. David, I think you'll be into that. And it also features Frank the Riddler Gorshin as the evil toy maker in the episode. Um, so, yeah, the the Twilight Zone, there's a few um, episodes, and certainly Serling was not afraid to go into areas of sentimentality. Uh, Night of the Meek, uh, it starred Art Carney, Art Carney of the Star Wars Holiday Special uh, fame. Uh, he plays a drunk department store Santa who is fired at Christmas Eve. Um, he finds a garbage bag that acts as a Santa sack that is able to provide whatever gifts the person before him asks for. Um, it's okay. It feels, uh, I think it's probably not aged that well. I think it's got a little hokier with age. Um, but for my money, my favorite uh, Christmas Twilight Zone episode is from season three, 1962. And it has one of our uh, favorite uh, people from the show, Donald Pleasance, as um, he's at a boy's school. He's a teacher. He was a boy's school <laughs> A teacher at a boys' school, and he's forced to resign after 50 years of work. He considers killing himself, feeling his life has been a waste. He's, um, uh, he's, he's then visited by his students, actually ghost students, and he's convinced of the impact that um, he's had on their life. Um, it's kind of like it's a wonderful life meets dead poet society. Um, but Donald Pleasance is amazing in it. And sort of like Max Van Cito in um, The Exorcist, he's playing a character much older than he was um, because, you know, we certainly know him from Halloween, a.k.a. that slasher film. Um, and, uh, you know, he looks much older than he did in 78, even though uh, this Twilight Zone is from 62. So he's made up very nicely. And I would recommend folks trying to find that changing of the guard from Twilight Zone season three. Okay, well, David, I, I think we can get ready to sort of wind down part one of the holiday extravaganza. Um, let's talk about uh, the things that we would like, because really it's about us, isn't it? Um, oh, yeah. So I was thinking, let's talk our Christmas genre wish list. So this would be um, things that, that we really would like to see in the world of genre, not necessarily specifically for us. Um, and then stocking stuffers, just actual little things that if, if Toffees want to send us a little present for our stocking, you know, this is something appropriate. This would be actual genre-related knickknacks, and actually, do not send us anything. Um, so, would you like me to to mention a few things first of all? Oh, for sure. All righty. So, for my genre wish list, Santa, um, I would like a third Jack Sawyer novel from Peter Straub and Stephen King. Um, they've promised a trilogy, and so far we have two books. We have the um, the first two are The Talisman and Black's Black House, which um, uh, Bev Vincent recently uh, referenced in his favorite fish. Um, but both books are great. Uh, 
Spielberg was supposed to make the Talisman years ago, but I think he still has an option for it. And uh, Black House is, is a great uh, book. So anyway, I know Straub isn't doing that well, and King is getting up there, so I, I hope they're able to do a book. Um, so we shall see. Um, I would like closure to the recent 21st century Planet of the Apes films, uh, and that would be uh, the two films that would essentially represent the original Planet of the Apes and beneath the Planet of the Apes films, because they've done what is essentially uh, not escape, but they've done conquest and battle uh, for the Planet of the Apes with uh, the recent films. And they have teased the space mission in the first two modern films where we see the, uh, the astronauts leave and then we do hear a news report at one point that the ship has been lost and they don't know what has happened to it. So clearly they have um, uh, set us up. So I would love a payoff on that. Uh, I guess my last one, other than we've been talking about Buckaroo Bonsai, and we hope to do a show in the future. I would like that Bonds, Buckaroo Bonsai sequel as well, and a BSG film, if I can, Santa. But right now, let me just go with, um, now that Disney and Marvel are a unified force, let's do a Howard the Duck film and do justice to the great Steve Gruber's creation. Please, please, Santa. How about you, Dave? What do you got for some, some genre, Christmas genre wish list items? I agree with you on Howard the Duck. Um, there was a bit of promise there uh, at the end of the Guardians of the Galaxy film yes. where you see Howard the Duck there, and that was kind of a promise. And when you make a promise, I think you really need to keep it. That's right. Um, so, and I think we have the technology and the ability, and we can rebuild him. So um, <laughs> let's do that. Uh, one of my, for when it comes to wish list, I, I was a big fan of Game of Thrones. I read all the books. Um, I watched all the uh, episodes. I was on panels at science fiction conventions for years and years with other people that were experts on it, and people in the audience who were, of course, all experts. Just talking about how great the books and the series were and what, where they diverged and where everything went. So one of the things on my wish list would be for George R. R. Martin to actually finish. Now, one of the funny things that had sort of been prepared for this was there was a series that was a, um, a zombie series on TV a, a few seasons ago. It wasn't, Walking Dead, it was a competitor for, it was basically another zombie, zombie series that had quite the characters in it. And they were had played up against type and they just had these very odd and weird episodes. I thought it was quite brilliant. So I'll have to, if I can find the title, I'll just insert it. But there was one episode where they actually find this room and they open the door and there's George R.R. R. Martin as a zombie trying to finish off oh, nice. uh, more Game of Thrones books. I thought it was quite hilarious and that George R. R. Martin would actually do that, would actually appear on that zombie series as a zombie making fun of himself, not finishing these books. That's great. Um, I thought that was quite brilliant. Um, so I would like to see another book or two because the the series on, on TV passed the actual books in the last couple of seasons. So, and George R. R. Martin was involved. So what he, what happened was with his benefit, but there's definitely like those five books that I, I read were all about a thousand pages each. And there was a bit of reading there, um, but I, he certainly yeah, can do that. So that would be on my wish list is for that to finish. And what I would do is the other big wish list is the dark tower. Now the dark tower is a series of novels by Stephen King, almost like sort of the George R. R. Martin game of Thrones, like that, that kind of density, that kind of overarching themes and trying to bring something book from book through that so i and we are planning having bed vincent because he has actually got a lot of experience i think he wrote some dark power companion or something oh, yeah. or other so he's an expert and we do want him on but i would prefer to have read all of them and, and been and be prepared just like you troy and bev 
with your experience with I want to be able to have read that. So I've already listened to the first episode on audio and then I'll buy the book and also read through it and make notes and do that for all seven of them. So we are planning on doing that. But what I want is for the Dark Tower to be done properly. So getting the yes. Game of Thrones people, the people oh, that so actually good. produced and brought that to TV to do a proper version of the Dark Tower and try to leave in as much and to try to carry that. So that would be high on my list. Howard the Duck, as you said, um, one of my favorite early novels was Lord Valentine's Castle by Robert Silverberg. I'd love to see that. And Ringworld by Larry Niven. Uh, if I could go back in time and somehow create more i would love more stories from daniel keys who had my favorite short story is flowers from flowers for uh, algernon mm. um and maybe more even though richard matheson did produce a lot in his lifetime i would just like to see more and maybe more from bradbury more from the masters um of science fiction and fantasy but certainly those are kinds of kinds of my um wish list yeah flowers for algernon like it does not escape you you know if you have read that book i don't know anybody who has been moved by it you know it's just it's a stunning read yeah yeah and that is and and i i really if we do do an episode on just flowers for algernon i will have to then read the novel because i've only read the novella or the novel whatever the original one that won all the awards and what happened with daniel keys then turned it into a book so he added more words and i i i had my backup against that because i was thinking okay how do you turn this brilliant shorter story it's not a short story it's definitely long enough that that you get a very big experience so it's a, it was either a novel or a novella but have it turn into a novel no i will have to if we do an episode on it i will have to read charlie or whatever it was called there was also the movie of course charlie and do all that prep work um but for me the the, the shorter story is what um, stays with me. Right. Um, and I, I, I'm probably wrong. I should actually read the, the line. I'm just, you know, I'm just worried that I'll read it and it just won't be as good or won't, you know, as you pad it or try to do stuff to try to turn it into a novel, whether or not you lose something in that process. And that, that's a whole other podcast is the idea of bringing something that's a shorter work because I, I have a number of friends I know that have turned their short stories or novelettes or whatever into novels. So one can look at that process and say that you just can't pat, you have to bring in another number of storylines, another set of characters, still try not to lose that, what you've tried to do in that original, but make it sure. into a novel that can stand on its own. So sorry about that, but that's no, that's no problem. I, I think that, that's actually a really good point And I think totally appropriate to our show. And sometimes, you know, with a short story, sometimes it, it allows for expansion and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes like what you have there is, you know, all you need to have and it really won't withstand um, sort of the, uh, I guess, bloat, you know. Um, it, it all depends, I guess, on the scope that your, the germ of your idea holds. But... Um, so back to our, our Christmas things, um, I don't know about you, David, but I was, uh, uh, you know, like our family, like with my kids, but also when I was a child, um, our parents always wanted us to um, you know, like not get them up too early on Christmas morning, but we were allowed to go to our stockings and sort of like rummage through our stockings and, and, uh, and uh, you know, see what we had there and let that uh, sort of sustain us until... Uh, it was time to get them up. I think with my parents, it was like six or seven or something like that. Um, I forget. I think we were seven with my own kids. Um, it's like, just don't get us up yet. And then as they got older, it was like, okay, you can get us up at seven, but make coffee first. Um, anyway, stockings. <laughs> what would you like in your stocking that is genre related this year? I've got a few, um, and, and I always look forward to them, and, and especially things like comics. Um, I know that you're a huge fan and, and are way beyond me and Mark Asquith and others who have such experience and not such knowledge of comics. So I got my comics through my uh, stockings at Christmas, but I also had things like Tomb of Dracula and Spider-Man 
and Sergeant Rock and Conan the Barbarian and Savage Sword of Conan. And there were about 10 titles that I followed regularly uh, through that. So for me, definitely comics have to be in the bag. They just have to. Um, when it comes to little little food items, uh, Turkish Delight, uh, which was mentioned in Lion, Witch in the Wardrobe, The Everlasting Gobstopper, which was from Harry Potter, and also from... Um, no, that wasn't Harry Potter, because I'm onto the Chocolate Frog, the Leaping chop, Chocolate Frogs only have one leap in them. Was oh, is that Willy Wonka? The Everlasting, yeah, Everlasting Gobstopper was Willy Wonka, of course, um, which... Um, you know, if you're talking about candies and stuff, I certainly don't know if I want Soylent Green um, <laughs> in my stocking because that may not be. It's good, and it's good for you, unless it's number six, like the uh, the, the 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 parody from Saturday Night Live. Uh, uh, Will that it's uh, it's um, Hartman. Um, Phil I think. Hartman, yeah, Phil Hartman, who had, who did his impression, of course, of Charlton Heston in various things. So one of it was him as Charlton Heston in Soylent Green, where he's doing a sequel in Soylent Green 6. And there he is dressed up as Charlton Heston saying, it's still people, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> um, but uh, what are some of the things in your uh, stocking um, that, or, or, or hope, hopeful things in your stocking there, Troy? Well, um, yeah, I guess all of these things could, I could get. Um, so my first one, which was very realistic, I guess, is uh, a Batman 66, meaning like the Adam West Batman era, uh, Funko, Pop, Robin, and Batgirl. I have pretty much everybody I want from the series, but for some reason I don't have a Boy Wonder um, or a Batgirl from from that era, the Funko figures. Um, the next three things... Uh, you know, it totally speaks to, um, <laughs> I'm almost going to say, the uselessness of, of of being a fan of all my genre things. So I would like a Spike Gremlin, you know, Spike from Gremlins, um, action figure, about six inches tall. I used to have one, and I would like to replace that. I don't know what I did with it or where it went, but I used to always have it on uh, my desk and probably around that era, I remember seeing a picture of Stephen King's workspace and he had uh, sort of the same figure. And so like my, my workspace is, is still like surrounded by little figures and figurines. And I actually got that from Ray Bradbury. If you ever see Ray Bradbury's working space, it's like just filled with things like that, that he says always gave inspiration. Um, I, I don't know even if you can get this. In terms of, I'm sure you can probably, but uh, I'm, I'm a, as we all know, I'm a Beatles fan and Yellow Submarine in particular. So uh, there used to be a Yellow Submarine Corgi diecast toy. Man, if anybody found that, like if I came across that again, I would love it. Love to see that in my stocking. And the last one is, I guess, the the most useless of all. When I was a kid, you might not remember this, but. They used to make this like foam spray, which was basically um, shaving cream in a can, now that I think of it. But the outside of the cans were painted with images of Superman, and you could get a Batman one and a Wonder Woman one. And I think they were called superhero bath foam. But basically, it was shaving cream. <laughs> and because it had a superhero on it, you, you know, you, you wanted it. So... Um, as a stupid collectible to gather dust, I would love a can of superhero bath foam of either Super Superman, Batman, or Wonder Woman. There you go. Very good. I was just thinking while you were talking about some of the things, like having those little model die-cast things, which some of them were just quite exceptional. Just in the design, the heaviness of it, and just just the beauty of it. Like, like the Batmobile itself was one of the great genre vehicles like it's just so beautiful the sea view because i was a huge um um uh voice of the bottom of the sea fan and the flying sub was probably one of my favorite things anything from the thunderbirds those little die cast things like those little tchotchke tchotchkes or however yeah. you say the word um that you like to have around 
on a shelf or whatever it is that you can point out. My brother-in-law gave me a nice one of the robot from um, Lost in Space. Um, so any of these little things are always nice, as long as they're not too large, as long as they can still fit in the stocking. Uh, that's the important thing. Yeah, definitely. Now, I think that's our holiday um, extravaganza, I believe, for part one. Yeah, I think so. And I think uh, um, maybe on our sign-off, David, I have a little treat for uh, the listeners. Um, I was mentioning to you earlier that there was a, uh, in the 70s, there was a novelty song called Mr. Jaws, which some DJ threw together. Um, and then that was followed up at Christmas time by a song called Santa Jaws by Homemade Theater. So after our outro music, I think I'm going to play a little clip of that for folks as a little Christmas present. But I want to remind everybody to uh, check out our previous shows um, and to check out all of our socials. Our website is numeric2of.ca. Uh, we're on Twitter at to numeric old farts sci-fi and facebook you can find us at two old farts talk sci-fi remember subscribe and like and tell a friend please if you will i am david clint and i am troy harkin see you all for our next episode of two old farts talk sci-fi Christmas, and all round the beach, not a creature was stirring, not even a leech. The stockings were hung by the boathouse with care, in the hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. For Daddy had taken us down to the shore to spend Christmas Eve with the family once more. And while Mother and Father lay snug in their bed, my girlfriend and I went down to the shed. We took off our clothes and peeled to the skin and jumped in the water for a midwinter swim. Out of the darkness, she let out a hoot. I just saw a shark in a Santa Claus suit. Then the silence was broken by a terrible din. Jingle bells ringing on a circling fin. We swam and we swam to get out of its reach till we thought we were finally safe on the beach. When what to our wondrous eyes should appear but a jolly white shark who ate tiny reindeer. Oh, Dasher. Oh, Dancer. Oh, Donner and Blitzen. Oh, Comet, Cupid, Prancer, and Vixen. <laughs> the one reindeer was left to pull the great sled. Cute little Rudolph with his nose so red. And then the monster looked at us and it really was weird. A great white shark with a great white beard. His teeth, how they glistened. With his fins on his belly, he laughed, ho, 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 like six tons of jelly. Well, we ran to the house and tried to get in, but the door was blocked by the shark's giant fin. His jaws opened wide to bite off my head. But from deep down inside, a voice quietly said, I'm not so bad. I'm really quite good. But with all those movies, I just misunderstood. My wishful men is goodwill and tea. And all I want for Christmas is my two-front tea. And we heard him exclaim as he swam out of sight, Merry Christmas!